Today, the story of a man who gave his life to music, only to have music bankrupt his fortune and his fame. And yet, his love for music was so great that he wrote one of the world's most beautiful of Christmas hymns. Adolph Adam was his name, delirious, drunk on music. For weeks he had saved every franc a small boy could lay hands on. And today he had gone to a concert. Alone in the dark hall, he had felt the music wash over him and through him with an ecstasy that he could scarcely bear. Now, as he slipped into the front door of his home, he ran quickly and lightly as a thief to the studio door. He paused, listened, and cautiously opened the door just a crack. Sure that his father was not inside, he entered, still stealthy as a thief. Adolph even felt a little like a thief, for touching the piano in the studio was a stolen pleasure. But today he must touch the black and ivory keys. There was so much music still left in him that he must let it out or burst. At first his hands fingered the keys with soft caution, for he was thinking of his father's stern advice. Adolf, his father had said, music is not for you. You shall be a man of substance, respected and rich, a lawyer, not a musician. Musicians have nothing but difficulties and disappointments. And Adolf was sure his father knew what he was talking about. After all, his father gave lessons at the famous Paris Conservatory. He taught musicians, and he was one himself. But today, even his father's sensible advice could not keep Adolf's fingers quiet and cautious for long. Soon he was playing the lilting refrain of the music he had heard in the afternoon concert. And then his fingers were skipping nimbly through a tune that came of itself, out of his head and his heart. And then the final triumph. A great classic piece from his father's books. It had taken months of secret, guilty practice to master this piece, and a few more even more difficult. But now Adolf could strike the keys with decision, thinking only of what the music meant and what it felt like inside of him. And then the door opened, and Lewis Adams stood there sternly looking in. Where did you learn that, he demanded. Adolf, almost frightened, confessed, I taught it to myself, Papa. And for a moment, Adolf thought his father was going to cry. But then he smiled instead. All right, Adolf, I am a man who knows when he is defeated. If it is music you want, it's music you shall have. It was a promise Adolf's father kept. Whatever doubts he may have had about the difficulties of a musician's life, and before long, Paris rang with the soaring melodies Adolf composed himself. And it rang, too, with the applause for the young composer of operas that became the Broadway hits of that day. And Adolf prospered. He launched the Theater National. And then overnight, the revolution of 1848 left him completely bankrupt. The days of difficulty that his father considered the logical fate of musicians were upon him. From famed composer, he became himself a music teacher at the same Paris conservatory where his father had once taught. 
Adolph Adams gained fame. He lost a fortune through music, but he never lost the sparkling melodies that made his life a thing of singing joy. And neither has the world. True, his French operas are rarely performed these days, and his name is unfamiliar. But at Christmas time, the world rings with a song written by a man who, even as a boy, couldn't resist the piano keys. And this is his song. Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's As the Yuletide comes around, and the choicest days of living in our memory will be found. We scan the cards of other years and revel in the joys that once we knew when they were just a pair of growing boys. Through fleeting days of yesteryear, we built our world in dreams. From high chair days to man's estate is but a step, it seems. 
We miss the thrill that once was ours, the night we trimmed the tree. We live it o'er each Christmas time in pleasant memory. But far too swift, the flight of time, though pleasant be the ways that lead us back or memory's trail to scenes of other days. And ere another year shall close, one wish for you we hold. May Christmas bring you much of joy and peace and hundredfold. Fantasy leaves off and fact begins, it's hard to say, in the stories of Christmas. But it doesn't really matter when the story brightens the Yuletide as does the story of St. Wilfred, embroidered in brilliant green on our Christmas fantasy. Wilfred carried the story of Christmas to lands in the far north, lands dominated by the Druids. The people gathered to hear his tale just as they would have gathered to hear the songs and gossip of a wandering minstrel. But as he talked of the star above Bethlehem and the child born in the manger, they listened with a new hope and then with fear. Yes, they wanted to believe in this miracle child who promised them peace and brotherly love among men, and an end of violence. They wanted to believe in a God that asked nothing but love and devotion and prayer. But what of the angry old gods? What of the priests? Should they find the people listening to this stranger from across the seas? The people listened to St. Wilfred, but they turned away. Though he urged them to have courage and faith, they were sore afraid. And so St. Wilfred resolved to have enough courage and enough faith for all of them. He waited until the Druid held their religious rites centered about the great oak in the forest. Among a forest of giants, this tree was a towering Goliath. Here, human sacrifice was made to the ancient gods, and the people whispered that it was the blood of men feeding the tree's roots that made the oak so mighty. Now St. Wilfred joined the throng gathered around the oak. He watched while from a high platform built into the tree, the druid priests cut the mystical mistletoe with their golden knives. And then at the thought of how these priests ruled the people with terror, how they held over them superstition and witchcraft and fear of death, St. Wilfred was filled with a burning anger. He pushed his way through the crowd looking defiantly at the high priests who were watching him intently. And then he swung at the oak's great trunk with his sword. Amazingly, the trunk of the oak shattered as though rotten at the core, and the ancient limbs creaked and screamed as the old trees split apart. 
One blow of St. Wilfred's sword struck with faith and courage brought the old tree down, shattered the oak, the priests, and the superstition built on blood and fear. And in place of the oak there stood a tiny fir tree. This is the tree of your faith. St. Wilfred shouted to the terrorized people. It builds your houses and your fires. And all winter long it stays summer green, a pledge of life everlasting. The tip of the topmost branch is a finger of faith lifted to heaven. And so that is how the old rites of mistletoe and oak passed away. And the fir tree and Christmas came to stay in the land of the Druids. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how faithful are thy branches. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how faithful are thy branches. There's a lot of joy and dreaming of the days that used to be, and you turn the pages backward as you live in memory. There's a lot of joy and dreaming of the days that used to be, and you turn the pages backward as you live in memory. You can find familiar faces that will meet your heart's desire if you'll only watch the pictures in the old log fire. There's a heap of satisfaction when the logs begin to blaze and your mind just sort of wanders toward the friends of other days. It will surely set you thinking if you'll only catch the whispers from the old log fire. There's a bit of Christmas music in the carols of the flame and you ought to catch a vision of the night the shepherds came. You can hear the hallelujah sung by the angelic choir if you'll draw a little closer to the old log fire. Europe there is an old tale that tells of how the trees bowed down in homage before Joseph, Mary, and their child when they fled from Bethlehem. Some say the trees bowed in reverence. Some say that they bowed to point the way to Egypt. However that may be, in Austria, they say the trees remember 
and bow still at the hour of midnight on Christmas Eve. once lived a little old lady who had heard this tale ever since she was a little girl. In fact, she'd told it to her own children and grandchildren. She'd heard it so often and retold it so often that she began to wonder if there might not be a grain of truth in it after all. Of course, no one but the village idiot would really believe such a yarn. But she'd try it out. This Christmas Eve, she'd just stay up till midnight and see and Christmas Eve found her resolutely rocking and knitting away by her fire, long after everyone else in the house was asleep. As the hours ticked on, it grew near to midnight, so she decided she'd best go out and sit on the bench in the orchard, just so she could say she'd given it a fair test. She lift, slipped on her grandson's big heavy woolen sweater and her own coat over the top. It'd be cold out. Perhaps that stocking cap on the hook would be a good idea, too. And so she pulled it on without a thought for its effect to top her gray hair, and out she went. The orchard was even colder than she had expected. She hugged herself for warmth, and the moments ticked slowly away. And she was drowsy, too, and caught her head nodding forward. It was still a quarter till midnight when she fell asleep. Then it was dawn, and she awoke. And the light of the sun was like honey, golden but strained of warmth. But she was not really uncomfortable, only her head was cold. She reached up to pull the cap down, but the cap was gone. And on impulse, she tilted back her head, and there it was. The bright red stocking cap dangling from the topmost spire of the tall fir tree. And odd, she muttered to herself. There's only one way that that cap could have gotten there. Only one way. The trees did bow. The miracle of the trees. But I never believed it. And so, I was denied the sight of it. Only a little scrap of proof. A red stocking cap in the tree. Frosted
In a moment, I'll tell you about a little girl at Christmas time. Here is my story of a little girl at Christmas time. A little girl at Christmas is a precious sight to see. With her eyes aglow with laughter and her heart so bright and free. Such a busy little person as she gazes in delight at the toys upon the carpet and the doll she's holding tight. A little girl is priceless as she goes about her way. So much keen and real excitement on this lovely Christmas day. Not a package left unopened. Gifts and wrappings everywhere. And her little mind so happy. Not a single thought or care. A little girl is smiling when at last her prayers are said, and she dreams of dear old Santa in her tiny baby bed, of the Christmas nuts and candy, and the tree all trimmed so grand, and the memory she treasures of that toy within her hand. A little girl at Christmas, and the dearest joy it brings. She's the reason for the sparkle and the Christmas songs we sing. She puts diamonds on the snowflakes and a smile in every heart. A little girl at Christmas is the very sweetest part. 